Welcome to KidTech. I'm Dylan Collins, the CEO of Super Awesome. And on this show, we meet all of the people behind the scenes across the kids' digital entertainment space. And today, a conversation that I have been looking forward to for ages because uh, he and I always end up talking at like shows and events and meetings and various things. And we got Michael Rinsler, he's EVP and partner in Jazzwares. Michael, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me, Dylan. So um, we've got a lot to try and cram into 25 or 30 minutes. First, um, I suppose for the benefit of, of like everyone listening today, um, you were a co-founder of Wicked Cool Toys. You were acquired by Jazzwares. Um, let's go into the background of that for a little bit. So like um, how and when did you start Wicked Cool? Oh, wow. Well, I started in 2012. Um, I had been working in the toy business for almost 20 years. It was always a goal of mine to start my own business. You know, during those 20 years, uh, you know, I worked with some really great people. And then it is the toy industry. I worked with some really crazy people, right? So I learned a lot about what uh, not to do as much as what to do. Um, I had tried a couple of times to start my own company along the way and had always gotten pulled back into different executive jobs. Um, but at this point, I was about to turn 40. I just had my first baby. So I figured this is, this is the perfect time to risk everything and start a, a toy company because we all, we all know how, how easy that is. Um, so it was June of 2012. Um, and I started with uh, a partner, Thomas Poon, who was an old uh, factory uh, of mine and more importantly, a very good friend that I trusted. And then several months later, uh, Jeremy Dower, um, also a very close and dear friend, and we had worked together at Mattel 20 years ago, uh, joined as the third partner. And, uh, and we, we went on from there for seven years. Um, and the company was successfully acquired by Jazzwares. It was the year before last, I think? Yeah, it was uh, October of 19. We were acquired by Jazzwares. I had... Um, been doing a lot of soul searching and I, I was actually predicting a worldwide pandemic. So I figured that would be a good time. No, no, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm joking. No, we, uh, we, we had, uh, we had been building, you know, for during those seven years and, you know, some of our brands, uh, you know, clearly Pokemon was our, our flagship brand. And they were also the, had become the lead investor, uh, in the business. We were also master toy for cabbage patch kids. And we had launched our, um, our own brand with an inventor called Blinger. Um, and we had just, we had grown to a point, we had grown very, very quickly and we needed to do something. And, uh, you know, frankly, uh, met with, met with a lot of, lot of different people, had a lot of interest, but we had known uh, Judd and Laura Zaberski for many years and loved what they were doing with Jazzwares and, uh, and the investing partner, which was, is still today, Allegheny Capital. Um, and so decided to partner up with them. And it's been a, a great and wild ride with them for the last year and a half and uh, keeps going. Um, when you started the company, uh, seven, well, I guess sort of almost nine years prior today, yeah. um, it was just around the time the kids were really beginning to migrate from TV across to digital. Um, I suppose when you contrast how the world, how the toy world looked then um, and, and, and how toy companies looked then, 
Like, what does a toy company really look like in 2021? How, how, I mean, it's different, but like, how would you describe, I suppose, the, the essential components of a toy company today? Yeah. Well, I mean, the first thing I'd say is, listen, times change, things evolve, right? Like when I was a kid, right, there were three TV channels, right? And as a toy company then, and I didn't even know toys was a business back then. I was a kid playing with them, right? But people, you know, the toy companies would, would put a product on TV and it would clearly cause a boom and be successful, right? The, the marketing strategy was not really that complicated. I mean, let, let's face it, right? And then as things evolved, you know, cable TV came along, right? Um, and still the strategy was probably 95% plus of your marketing budget went to TV. When I first, you know, started Wicked Cool, it was kind of at that crux where things were starting to change. And I would say, you know, more traditional toy people like me were in the beginning, were like, no, 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 this is, this is very scary. Like, we don't know if we're going to get results with this. And TV has always worked. And even the big guys, you know, eight, nine years ago, were still spending probably 90%, you know, on TV. Um, that clearly has changed a lot where, you know, my, my guess, and I haven't seen the latest stats are that, less than 50% probably now is spent on TV and clearly, you know, the digital marketing influencers, social media, et cetera, um, is where it's at now, right? Um, but I'd say, you know, while the marketing has changed, what hasn't changed to me is that product is still and always will be king, right? And like, you know, you literally could still start a toy company out of your basement and there's a lot of new, you know, interesting ways to, engage and interact with customers. I mean, you know, even for us at Jazzwares, as an example, we recently started a direct-to-consumer division. We brought in uh, one of the founders of Loot Crate. We like, we like to call him the smart one. And, uh, and, and he's been terrific and really helping us ramp up that strategy. But if you, know, you look at a, a company like, uh, what do you mean, as an example, on the game side, right? And that basically started um, via social media, right? And selling to Amazon. And now it's like four or five years later and they're in every Walmart, every Target, et cetera. Um, you know, people, you know, they always say to, oh, it's so much more difficult now, you know, with marketing and to get into Walmart and Target. But for me, like, I still look at it like, you know, it's an entrepreneur's dream opportunity with this new landscape. And you see, especially a lot of the a lot of kind of like the the younger, more savvy folks and their ability to to market digitally doing really, really well. Mm-hmm. And have the economics changed at all in in the toy sector? I mean, between then and now? Um, in terms of economics, I mean, I think that, you know, on the marketing side, it's still, to me, at least somewhat similar, right? In terms of what your spend on your P&L is when you're looking at launching a toy line. Um, I would say, you know, one of the things you could do now is if you, you know, if you, you spend early, you can also see early if something's gonna work, right? So it's kind of more like that, you know, lean, lean startup method, right? Where if something works, you pump it. And if something doesn't, you can kind of agree to cut bait um, early. But that's, you know, again, a traditional retail model, right? They're reading POS in two weeks and telling you like, oh, this isn't working. Um, you know, versus, you know, you talk about the, the economics model, like direct consumer, right? Clearly a lot more expensive from a marketing standpoint, right? In terms of 
uh, customer acquisition costs, you could be spending 30, 40% A to S, right? But you're also, you know, hopeful, hoping and expecting that you're going to have a customer that's around for a lot longer, right? When you're looking at different, you know, different models like uh, subscription, right? As, as an example. Um, but the, I'd say the, the bigger way the business has changed from an economic standpoint is kind of as it relates to shipping methods and, and cash flow. So like when I first started, you know, many businesses were 100% FOB, right? So that means basically like if you were selling to Walmart, um, they would pick up the product, you know, at a port in China. Um, they would pay for the goods with an LC right then and there. You would ship the goods, you would collect your money, and then you could go pay your factories, right? Man, that's that's easy peasy, right? Today, um, that that's changed a lot. First off, you know, a lot there's a lot more domestic shipping required, which means that the you know the toy company has to be responsible for shipping the product from across the world to the U.S. And then storing it in a warehouse, you know, and taking that inventory, which has a whole, you know, different different risk um, level. And then from a payment standpoint, you know, the days of kind of an LC at site on shipment are gone. And sometimes you're literally waiting, you know, 90, 90 days or more to get paid, right? So that makes it very, very hard for, for smaller businesses to operate if, uh, if you're not very well funded. So, you know, even, you know, when I had started Wicked Cool, that to me was one of the more challenging things that we were growing so fast, but we didn't have, you know, we're constantly floating and trying to figure out how we're going to pay for, pay for all these goods while we're waiting to get paid, you know, by our customers. Um, you and I often talk about um, various digital media startups that are floating around in the ecosystem. And, and from time to time, we both see, like you know new toy startups particularly coming out of the valley like smart toys or thing you know or, or, or things like that um do what do you think are some of the real secrets of the toy industry that like i mean you talked about you know some of the shipping points there right which is definitely a subtle aspect yeah, yeah, right that yeah, people wouldn't pick true. up but like what are the kinds of things that you only learn after being in the toy space for like a decade or two decades or something like that yeah that, 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 that sort of like a founder just isn't gonna know yeah god i mean i i wish i wish i had an answer for what the, the <laughs> secrets are. i think the secret the, the true secret is that there are no real secrets right. um i mean certainly you learn a lot with experience but you know i i always actually say in the uh in the office like you know we're, we're not curing cancer here you know we're, we're making toys for christ's sakes and if we go away tomorrow kids are still going to play with rocks and cardboard boxes and, and be fine but uh it's funny because someone asked me recently one of our younger people like i don't feel like i'm qualified to give my opinion on what makes a great product because i'm i'm new to the business and uh you know again no secret i said were you ever a child and, uh, and she said, y y of course, yes. And I said, well, okay, then you're qualified to give an opinion on the toy business. Um, and you know, again, it goes back to, to product being king. So I guess, you know, with, uh, with experience, you kind of learn, you know, classic play patterns and, and uh, things like that, that, that do well or haven't done well. And you also have a better eye for, oh, that's already been done or, but, you know, similar to like the similar to movies, 
right? Like that you constantly see come back and being remade. A lot of it is, you know, the same thing kind of repositioned, you know, for for a new demographic or, you know, marketed in a different way. Like, you know, someone, I, I always also like to give the example of like the hamburger business, right? Someone, someone wrote a business plan on in and out right? And, you know, most people probably said, oh, there's already a McDonald's, a Burger King, a Wendy's, a Carl's Jr., this one or that one. But, you know, they figured out a niche, right? A way to stand out from the rest of the pack, a way to have a product mm. that was differentiated enough that made people go crazy for it, right? And it's kind of the same thing. You know, you see princesses and fairies and those kind of classic play patterns come back around, but it's like, how do you, how do you position this and do, and do it differently? And a lot of what we talked about, you know, with, with marketing today is really the way, um, you know, you could, you can stand up differently. It's not a TV commercial, but now it's, you know, you go to the right influencer, right? You have right. the right social media campaign and new products, they find their way. And when you look at the rise of platforms like Roblox, which are, you know, I suppose challenging the definition of what play is, or certainly what digital play is. Yeah. How do you think about the landscape of toys in 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 uh, you know against that backdrop? Sure. What? Yeah. I mean, I, look, I think play has definitely evolved a lot over the years. You know, like when I when I was a kid, and probably you too, play was like, oh, you go ride your bike or play with your friends outside or play with toys, right? And 12 year olds played with action figures. Today, 12 year olds, most do not play with action figures, right? I got my first uh, in television around that time, which was like an early video game system, which was life-changing for me, right? Now everything's evolved from, you know, that basic console into mobile, online, et cetera. Um, I remember in the early nineties when I started, the video game business was smaller than the toy industry, right? In terms of in terms of revenue, um, now you know when you combine gaming and mobile, that I mean, it's many many times the size of the toy business. Um, and I think, you know, like basically, toys seems to kind of follow tech, but I'd say it takes time. Um, and I'll give you a good example. I remember in it's probably around '97. Um, I think it was Microsoft came out with. A, an interactive Barney that interacted with the computer of all things. And I don't remember exactly how it worked, but I remember that it wasn't what you would call successful, right? And I think like everything in life, it, timing, right? Like it was actually genius, but it was just too early, right? And when mobile, you know, first started becoming more popular, and this is probably, you know, seven to 10, no, maybe like 10, 12 years ago now, um, every toy company was coming out with their app toy, right? And same thing, it was like a little early, right? In terms of adapt, adoption by younger kids and, and how does that all work? Um, and then it became as typical of the toy business that didn't work. So now nobody does an app, nobody does any interconnected app toys because no retailer is gonna buy it. Well, you know, I think that you're, you're gonna see a lot more of that, um, you know, and, you know, a great example to me was Skylanders, right? And maybe, you know, not uh, mobile, um, but, um, but just when that came out, I thought that was really, really groundbreaking 
in what it did. And then, you know, you kind of saw the Disney version was at infinity. I think it was called, um, didn't, you know, didn't work quite as well. And I think that was, again, that was a, you know, an entertainment company trying to be a toy company. Again, you, you talked before about the nuances, like all of a sudden try to trying to manage inventory and having hundreds of million dollars worth of product, you know, not, not so easy. Um, but I think again, you will see more of, um, an intersection between kind of toys and games and, you know, as kind of technology continues to evolve and play to me now is just, it's much, much broader, right. Um, in terms of, in terms of what that means. Um, but I think, you know, what we can agree on is that your basic kind of physical toy play thing, that age demo has clearly compressed a lot, um, you know, over the years and, you know, we see it getting, you know, younger and younger. Um, but, you know, by, by doing things to kind of interact more with the gaming side, um, I think that's a way to kind of extend it up longer. And, you know, and like, you know, as an example, you know, at Jazzwares, we have, you know, we're, we're big into, into gaming on the toy side, right? Like we have Roblox, Fortnite, Pokemon, Halo, um, you know, as an example. And while I would say we haven't done anything you know, purely interactive between those two things yet um, for a variety of reasons. Um, what we have done is codes, right? And we've included codes with our products and we've seen that work amazingly well. And I think that that's a kind of like a, the precursor to seeing some more kind of truer, you know, interactive experiences between the physical and the digital, um, you know, as things continue to evolve. Mm. And I mean, you talked about sort of or the, the gave the example of like every every person being a child at some point, but you know, just listening to you, it really makes me think how complex that landscape must have become. I mean, in terms of being able to reach kids and like just how fragmented they are and, and continue to become across all of these different play plat platforms. Like, how do you? I mean, has that just made your marketing incredibly complex or, you know, are you focusing on, on some more than others or how do you try and sort of rationalize that, that kind of chaos? Yeah. Well, know? I mean, what I would say is for a marketer to me, and look, my background, you know, before I became an exec and ran my own business was in marketing. Right. And I can say with a hundred percent accuracy that it was a lot easier then, right. Because the marketing mix um, for toys back then. It was like, all right, is it, you know, put put this thing on TV, and then you did a couple of other things, and not to not to poo poo what other people had done in the earlier days, but it was it was easier. Now I just think that there's there's so much stimuli out there and so many different tactics, right, that you can take. But I think a, a lot of it still comes down to, you know, what is the specific product, you know, who is the demo and really a lot more kind of specific tailoring now, right? Like, I mean, think of like, you know, influencers as an example, right? There's hundreds, if not thousands of options, right? And, you know, like what size do you go after? Like in terms of, are you better off paying someone a boatload of money who has a gazillion followers versus spreading it out, right? And, and, and uh, you know, kind of putting your, putting your budget that way. Like those are, those are things that are not always easy answers, 
right? Um, so I think it takes a lot of kind of a lot more kind of careful planning today than it used to. Um, and also, I think, you know, kind of the old kind of, you know, measurement of ROI on TV was very easy, right? You put it on TV, hey, we got a six times lift in two weeks, you know, that that whole kind of like analytics side, I think is still evolving too. Um, and I think as kind of data clearly is very important now, but I think as it becomes even more important and you have kind of even more measurable, um, you know, kind of data points that people will be able to make better informed decisions. So I, I don't want to say right now, it's like, you know, just throwing something up in the air and, you know, and guesswork, but I feel like it's definitely a lot more kind of complicated now. Um, but again, I think if you're looking at it, just big, big picture, it's a lot more, you know, Hey, you know, let less than half your mix to TV and a lot more going to, to digital, um, you know, including social media and, and influencers, because at least you, while you may not be able to measure it, you know, precisely, you're able to measure it and, and, and understand that it's working. That right. right. Yeah. And, and I suppose kind of a related point, like COVID has obviously driven an enormous amount of uh, e-commerce activity. And I think I read a stat recently that about 50% of all U.S. toy sales um, are now originating as an, an, an e-commerce purchase. Yeah. Um, like as the world starts to revert back to something pre-COVID or something like pre-COVID, what do you think um, toy retail does? Like, do we do we sort of retain that very high e-commerce level? Does it revert back to in-store or something in between? I mean, I would guess something in between. Like, look, I think the e-commerce was clearly growing a lot faster pre-COVID, right, than, than brick and mortar, right? And in some ways, it just feels like it accelerated things maybe a lot a, a lot quicker. You know, but that being said, I think there's going to be a lot of lasting effects, right, from COVID. Like, I mean, something that we all talk about, like, you know, no, none of us have traveled, right, for business um, over the last year plus. And what do we all say? Oh, we're never going to travel like that again, right? Because we all learned, hey, you don't really, you know, you don't really need to do that, right? Not to say you're never going to travel for business again, but you'll, you probably will travel substantially less because you can, you can be more efficient in staying at home and doing what you need to do. And I think it's the same thing with shopping, right? That's why this thing took off to begin with from an e-commerce perspective. And now what you see, it's like, wow, you know, I listen, I I moved and furnished an entire house online during during the pandemic. Who would have ever thought that was possible? So, you know, as it relates back to toys, I think it's the same thing. I think whereas before a lot of people, you know, would have, would have thought, hey, I've got to be in the store and touch it and feel it and see it and have that experience. I think that that's probably less now. Now, will it stay at 50%? That I don't know, but I but I don't I don't think it's gonna, you know, decrease back to back to uh, you know lower levels than it did before. I think it's probably, you know, here more to stay, um, you know, than not. Um, mm -hmm. But that being said, you know, we are seeing some you know, some huge increases in, you know, in, in brick and mortar sales right now too. And I think, 
you know, you've seen some consolidation in brick and mortar over the last several years. And I think that that will, will likely continue, right? You know, you've seen retailers like Toys R Us, for example, go out of business and, you know, bat, everyone was like, oh my God, what are we going to do? They're gone. And not to say they weren't important, but you know what? It was a year and nobody skipped a beat. The toy business, you know, has been okay. We've, we've, we've survived from, from that standpoint. Um, so I think there, there will still always be, you know, a home for brick and mortar and people will want to shop. But I, I do think that e-commerce will become, um, you know, increasingly important over time. You mentioned the consolidation on the retailer side. Are you expecting more M&A in the toy space itself? Oof, I mean, I can, based on my role at Jazzwares and, you know, I help oversee M&A, I would say that the deal flow right now is insane. Um, and I think that's for a couple of reasons. One, I think, you know, the, the pandemic, you know, clearly affected a lot of smaller and mid-sized businesses, even though the toy industry was actually up like 16% last year. But, you know, again, from a cash flow risk perspective, et cetera, I think, you know, a lot of people, and especially people who have had small and mid-sized businesses for a long time, you know, are like, whoa, what is like, you know, trying to protect, you know, their futures and make sure things are okay. And then secondly, you know, at least in the US as it stands, you know, there's a lot of uh, discussion about, tax laws changing. And it seems like that's also caused a lot of people to want to uh, sell their companies by the, by the end of this year. Um, so yeah, I think that I think you'll see a lot of a lot of activity. And uh, I mean, Jasper's in particular, um, you know, we're going to be very strategic about who we acquire, but we will definitely be very active in that space. I look forward to seeing the press releases. Um, yeah. Last question, Michael, um, and it's it's one that we're asking all of our guests on season three. What are your industry predictions for 2022? Ooh, for 2022, um, well, well, first off, I mean, it's, it's, you know, every company is different, right? And, and you know, we're fortunate at, ja at Jazzwares that, uh, you know, our business right now is on fire, right? And we've got you know, Squishmallow um, is our brand through acquisition of Kelly Toy that is the number one brand in the plush business. I talked about some of our other brands, Pokemon, Roblox are both on fire. Coco Melon also doing, you know, amazingly, amazingly well. They're, they're way up, right? So for 21. And, you know, I don't think that you know, not every toy company is experiencing that exact same thing, but I do think the, the industry clearly is going to be up this year, you know, like I said, uh, in 21. And like I said, last year, it was up 16%, right? So I think the first half comps for this year seem to be way up over last year. And my feeling is that by the back half, you'll start to see that lessen, um, you know, a little bit. So I think, you know, I think for next year that, that as people start to, you know, go back to entertainment and movies and, and things like that. You know, I don't, I don't know um, exactly offhand what big ones are coming, but you know, the toy business typically is driven up in a normal year by some sort of hit, right? Like, you know, an LOL surprise is an example, a billion dollar plus hit, you know, that, that drives a lot of business, right? When you're a 22 to $25 billion industry. Um, you know, my guess would be that we'll still have some growth 
in 22, but I think, uh, you know, it'll probably be modest, you know, like I would say, you know, three to 5%. And again, I, this is, this is my, uh, you know, putting my finger in the air and, and my, you know, my personal prediction, but my, uh, my bigger prediction is that uh, long-term that, that kids will keep putting down their iPhones and their, their iPads uh, long enough to still play with toys this year, next year, and, and hopefully forever, because, uh, you know, we're spending way too much time on that stuff. So, you know, back to your whole play thing, like we, we, we got to keep them playing with toys. So that's my, my big, my bigger prediction. Very wholesome message to finish off this episode. Michael Rensler, yeah. EVP and partner in Jazz Thank you very much for joining us in Kitchat. Thanks, Dylan. Appreciate it.